Well, good morning, everybody. Hey, guys, welcome. My name's Aaron. I'm one of the pastors here at Bridgewater, and we are really excited to be gathered this morning, and we get to dive into God's Word together this morning. So we've been walking through this series called Reset. We've been talking about how, you know, kind of as you approach the beginning of the year, there can be things you think about maybe changing, right? And the reality is there are things that we, we, we look at and we go, ah, I might want to change my diet. I, wanna, might, I might want to change something in my finances. Maybe there's something in relationships I want to change. Maybe I want to grow closer in my relationship with God. You know, there could be any number of things that we look at and we go, man, I, I want to see some changes. But sometimes we just don't know how to change. Can anybody relate? Okay, either you're all lying or I just have a real problem. I'm the only one. Some, sometimes we just don't know how to change. Over the last couple of weeks, we've talked about where the power is. We looked at the fruit of the Spirit. We talked about how the power really resides with God. It's, it's the Spirit of God that we need to help us change. Then we talked about the pathway to change, like how do we know which way to go to change? And thankfully, God's word gives us so much insight into how, our build, how to build our lives in a way that's going to be helpful, right? And, and uh, uh, this, this last week, we, we talked a little bit about um, what change does God want to make in us, you know, loving God and loving others. Well, this final week, here's what we're going to uh, kind of talk about. Well, I'll, I'll tell you in a minute, okay? Let me just remind you of one of the questions that I asked at the very beginning. Here, here's the question. The question was, what do you think the success rate of those who make New Year's resolutions is? Do any of you guys remember? 10%. 10%. After two years, we found, like, this, I, I mean, somebody did the study, not me. I didn't do this. <laughs> I don't have the time for that. But somebody did a study and found out that after two years, 10% of people who had made New Year's resolutions, actually kept it. I thought that was actually pretty good. I was surprised by that. Um, the reality is that, you know, there's so many things that just get in the way of us changing. Busy schedules, right? How about lack of self-discipline, right? Peer pressure. There's a lot of things that get in the way of us changing. But there's one thing that I think is actually the biggest killer, okay? It's the biggest killer, and it's really the answer, I think, often to this question. Here's the question. What stops us from keeping the change that we want to make? Well, here's what I think is the biggest killer. Often, I think it's failure. Failure. Think with me for just a minute. You set your alarm for 5.30 to get up to go to the gym. This is a true story. I did this this week. Set my alarm on Tuesday, or thir whatever day it was. I don't even know what day it was. Thursday. Set my alarm to be at the gym to meet a friend at 5.30 on Thursday morning. I didn't hear my alarm. Anybody ever had that problem? I swear to you, my alarm did not go off. Okay. I didn't hear my alarm. I woke up like 15 minutes after or 30 minutes after I should have been awake. And I texted my buddy. And I'm like, I'm so sorry. I'm on my way. And he's like, yeah, I got to leave in like 30 minutes. It was a 20-minute drive. So it wasn't 
going to make a difference. Here's my point. How often do we set a goal and then we fail once and then we go, uh, I'm probably not going to be able to keep it. And so you just give up. You want to get better in your grades at school. And you have one, you know, you're, you're like, all right, you're all revved up and you're doing well. And then, then something comes up and you forget to turn in an assignment. And all of a sudden you're like, here we go again. You want to see something change in your marriage or in your dating relationship. You want to be a better parent, a better father, a better mother. And, and you're going great. And then all of a sudden, you've had a very long day, a 12-hour day at work. You come home and your kids push every single button. How they know every single button, I don't know. But they find every single one and you lose it. And you fail. And you just go, that's it. I'm done. I'm not going to be able to keep the change. And you give up, and you kind of slowly go back to the way things used to be. You don't have to raise your hand, but can you identify? Because I sure can. I know what it feels like. Failure comes up, and it gets in the way. Maybe it's for you like you've made a commitment to change your habits you want to change your habits with, with, with drinking and all your friends are going back out to the bar and you've said no a bunch of times and you're just tired of saying no. And, and so, you know, not that there'd be anything wrong with you to go with them, but you, you, you know based on past experience what might happen. And you give in. And you give in that once and then before you know it, you're right back where you want to be. Failure tends to keep us from the change that we need. In fact, let me go a step further. I think it's actually more than just failure. I think it's actually the fear of failure. It's being afraid that I might fail, that I won't be enough, that I won't be able to keep it, that, that you're not going to be able to get where you want to be. I think the reality is that the fear of failure keeps us from what really needs to change. And here's why, at least what I've experienced, okay? I've experienced that we tend to view failure a certain way. In fact, here's how we tend to view it. The problem is that we tend to think of failure as final. And so once you've failed, once you've gone back once, you think, that's it, I'm done, I'm just back, I can't beat it, I'm never gonna change, I'm finished. We tend to think of it as final. And here's the thing. There's this incredible story that I'm going to introduce to you today from a little book of the Bible that we don't often go to. Well, let me rephrase that. We go to two verses of this entire book in the Old Testament. Those are the only two verses that even really dedicated Christians really know, okay? So if you don't know these verses, it's okay, because pretty much 90% of the rest of the room probably doesn't, okay? No big deal here. But we're going to look at the story of failure and frustration and problem, and we're going to see what God does in the midst of a group of people's failures. In fact, if you want to turn there while I tell you a little story, the book of the Bible is called Lamentations, okay? Lamentations. It's kind of about uh, in the middle of your Bible, if you're looking up, or if you're going to look it up on your phone, you'll be able to see it. Now, I understand this idea, you know, uh, uh, of seeing failure as final 
personally. When I was in high school, I had a goal. I wanted to play on the varsity basketball team. And as you can tell, my physique is perfect for basketball. At my tallest, I'm five feet, 11 and a half inches. We'll just call it five, six, or six feet, I mean, excuse me, six feet. That was really bad, okay? (laughs) I don't know where that came from. We'll just call it six feet, right? We're going to round up a little bit. Probably at this point, I've I've shrunk a little bit. I'm maybe 5'10". I worked and worked and worked to make the varsity basketball team. My junior year, I went to not a big school, but you know, bigger than, than, than some schools. We were in the second largest class size in, in the state that I grew up in, the state of Nebraska where the N stands for knowledge. Um, that, that's, that's where I grew up. And uh, I, I wanted to be on the varsity basketball team, right? So my junior year, I made the varsity team. But I wanted to play. And I made the team, and I didn't really play. I was a bench warmer. That's right. I was really frustrated by the end of that season. I was ready to give up. You you ever heard a kid say, oh, the coach just doesn't like me? That's code for they're, they're not playing enough. That's where I was at. And that summer, I decided I had a choice. I'm either going to give up or I'm going to work harder. I'm either going to give up or I'm going to work harder. So that summer, I decided to start playing basketball every single night. I would work all day, go to a friend's house, and, and we, he had an outdoor court, and there were eight of us, and we would play three-on-three three and just rotate, and we would play for hours and hours and hours. And it was in that moment that I learned that failure is not final. See, here's what I think. When we approach change and when there are things in our lives that need to change, you really have three options. Here's the three options. Option number one, get bitter. (laughs) Be pretty good at that, right? Eh, Whatever, I'm done, giving up. Option number two, give up. Those two kind of go hand in hand. Or option number three, get back at it. That's reality. Now, I know so far, it doesn't sound like I'm telling you anything religious, because I'm not, but I do want to show you truths in God's word that teach us what we do, even in the midst of trying to make changes in our lives, when we face failure, and when we feel like a failure, and when we feel like we've hit a setback, what do we do? Well, here's the thing. This is the thing I want you to capture and not miss. When the circumstances of of life drive you to despair, The character of God is what guides us back to hope. When we go back to who God is, when we go back and look at who God is and realize that he's not done with us, he's still got a plan, he's still working, now there's hope. Let me show you, okay? I'm going to show you this story that doesn't get talked about very much in, you know, in, in, in much preaching. And there's, there's kind of a reason for that, okay? The story starts kind of a lot like you would think. There's a lot of failure. I mean, you, you know, you and I understand failure to a degree. But if you think your life is filled with fail, failure, I'm going to introduce you to a group of people who are the Olympic champions of failure, Okay, this is as good as it gets 
when it comes to failure, okay? There was a period in the history of the nation of Israel that was marked not by a little bit of failure, but I'm talking about monumental failure, okay? It wasn't like they ate a donut when they were on their diet, and they just, or they just missed a day at the gym, or they slept in a little too long and were late for work, or they got angry once at their kids. No, it wasn't like that. It was way worse. See, their offense was serious and egregious. They not only ignored God's commands, but they turned and ran the other direction. They worshiped up with other gods. They compromised their values. They began to devalue human life. They didn't care about loss of human life. They got to the place where they were even offering up, I, I know this is crazy, but even offering up children as sacrifices to false gods. You want to talk about Olympic level failure? This is it. And these people were supposed to be the people of God. You, you understand what I'm saying here? This is high level failure. After literally hundreds of years of patience and God warning them over and over and over again. And then the, the southern part of the nation, Judah, watching the northern part of the nation, Israel, get completely destroyed and wiped off the map by the Assyrians. After all of that and God's warning after warning after warning, finally God was done. And he said, that's it. That's it. It's time for something to change. And the nation that we now know today as Babylon came into the southern portion of the nation of Israel and completely wiped everything out. A man that we know today named Nebuchadnezzar and his father Nebuchadnezzar, okay? You know, they came in and they wiped everything out. What did they do? They surrounded the city of Jerusalem. They besieged it. Eventually, they conquered it. They tore down all the walls. They tore down every stone upon stone on the Temple Mount. They took the best and brightest of the nation of Israel, the children. I'm talking the teenagers, the smartest, the ones who had all of the, they were in the, you know, they were in the, 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 um, the, the special classes, you know. They took them back to Bab Babylon, and they got them working for them. You want to talk about failure? It was Israel. And the story of Lamentations, probably written by the prophet Jeremiah, tells us what happens with God in the midst of our failure. And here's what I think it teaches us. It teaches us this. With God, there's always hope. So let me show you. Let me just read to you, okay? Now, you don't, have to, you don't have to look at this or read this. You can if you want. You can follow along. But I'm going to read you quickly the first 18 verses. It's not very long. So just listen along. Here's what it says, okay? I am the man who has seen affliction by the rod of the Lord's wrath. He's driven me away and made me walk in darkness rather than light. Indeed, he's turned his hand against me again and again all day long. He's made my skin and my flesh grow old, and he has broken my bones He's besieged me and surrounded me with bitterness and hardship. He's made me dwell in darkness like those long dead. He's walled me in so I cannot escape. He's weighed me down with chains. Even when I call out or cry out for help, he shuts out my prayer. Holy cow. Do you, do you hear that? That's tough. 
Okay? He's, he's barred my way with blocks of stone. He's made my paths crooked. Like a bear lying in wait, like a lion in hiding, he dragged me from the path and mangled me and left me without hope. He drew his bow and made me the target for his arrows. He pierced my heart with arrows from his quiver. I became the laughingstock of all of my people. They mock me in song all day long. He has filled me with bitter herbs and given me gall to drink. He has broken my teeth with gravel. He has trampled me in the dust. I have been deprived of peace. I have forgotten what prosperity is. So I say my splendor is gone and all that I had hoped for from the Lord. Wow. Well, that's your morning cheerful note. Now, here's the thing. Maybe you've felt like that before. Can we just be... Can we just level for a minute? Maybe you felt like God has barred your path, shut you out, doesn't listen, doesn't want anything to do with you. Maybe you felt like that before. And you're at that place where you go, yep, failure. Yep, failure. Here's where I want you to see the rest of the story. This doesn't start out good. This was, this was 70 years of captivity for the nation of Israel. 70 years. That's a lifetime. 586 B.C., the, the temple is destroyed. The walls are destroyed. Everything. Nebuchadnezzar wipes it all out. The people are in despair and lost and sorrowing. That's what this is describing. Then what? Well, look at what it says. Verse 19. Look right here. The thought of my suffering and my homelessness is bitter beyond words. That idea of homelessness, they, they were, their homes were destroyed, everything taken away from them. Verse 20, I will never forget this awful time I grie- as I grieve over my loss. And maybe you're looking at the situation that you're in right now, whether it's a relational or a financial or something with work or your kids or your family or, or maybe even your relationship with God. And you go, I will never forget this time right now. Here's where I want you to see what he says next, verse 21. Yet I still dare to hope. Those are brave words. Yet I still dare to hope when I remember this, what he's about to say, okay? And it is in this point, in this place in particular, that we begin to see that there are reasons why we can have hope despite failure. And this is, these are the anchors that help us keep the change. These are anchors that help us keep going when life gets us down and failure seems to crush us. And if you're young enough that you've never felt that, you will. You will feel it, feel that. So I want you to know these anchors. Look at the next verse, verse 22. The faithful love of the Lord never ends. His mercies never cease. 
Now, here's the deal. If you were just an outside observer and you looked at my life and you, you saw my family and you saw, saw my life, you could be like, yeah, cool, Aaron. Aaron. God's been so good to you. Of course, you'd say the, the, the faithful love of the Lord never ends because it doesn't look like you've been through anything tough. And the reality is you, you wouldn't know the ins and outs of my life. But we can look at Jeremiah's and we can see that he was crushed. Do you understand that this man... Spent, I don't, I don't even remember how long. He was placed in a cistern and just left there to die. That's a well. They just left him there. This is the man who's saying, the faithful love of the Lord never ends. His home was taken. His cities destroyed. His people were murdered. His family was carried away. The faithful love of the Lord never ends. His mercies never stop. So I, I, I don't know if you feel like there's no hope for you. I don't know if you feel like you're at a place where it's just failure, but I know who God is. And I beg of you to take my word that he trumps your situation. See, here's the reality. There's three reasons why there is hope. Three reasons why I know you can keep the change. Here's the first one. Even when we fail, God's love never fails, never stops. I don't know how far you feel like you've run away, but you can't run that far. You get it? It can't be done. I don't know how far you feel like you've fallen. I don't know how, you know, how much bad you feel like you've done. I don't know who you feel like you've disappointed, but even when you fail, God's love will never fail. He will never stop coming after you. And whoever, woo, that's, yeah, that's right. He won't. Don't believe me? Jerusalem was completely destroyed. I mean, raised. I mean, leveled. 586 B.C. Let me show you a couple of places that I've been and pictures that I've, I've been able to take. Let me show you this wall, first and foremost. Do you know what this wall is? This wall is a part of the wall that was rebuilt in about 508, 506 B.C. under the leadership of a man named Nehemiah. It's been excavated and found in, in the city of Jerusalem. The story of Nehemiah in the Old Testament tells us the story of God's faithfulness. See, after 70 years, God kept his word. He said, I'm going to send you into captivity for 70 years. And after 70 years, he let them go. Not only that, the nation that they were in captivity, not even the same nation anymore, sent them back with money. Sent them back with workers. Sent them back with resources to rebuild the walls. <laughs> you think your failure's final? Pardon me, but ain't no way. Okay? Ain't no way. Because that's not the way God rolls. That's not who he is. Let me show you another one. This is a picture. This is one of my favorite places to stand in the city of Jerusalem. What you can't see back here is this is back in the old city where I'm standing. is back in the old city, and this is one of the places that when we, when we go overseas and we film, I love to stand and film. This is what is called today the Western Wall. You may have heard it called the Wailing Wall. Orthodox Jews don't like to call it that anymore. They just call it the Western Wall. 
what it is. It's the, it's the part of the temple wall that is the closest to the location of where the, the temple that Solomon built used to stand. Today, there's an Islamic temple there today, okay? This is called the Dome of the Rock. Right over here, you have the, the Al-Aqsa Mosque or the faraway mosque. And today, that 50-acre complex is not controlled by the Jewish people, but it is controlled by, by the Muslim Brotherhood. And you can go up there. You can get kicked off up there. I've managed to do that. That was fun. Here's my point. That temple that was destroyed in 586 B.C., it was rebuilt. It was rebuilt. God keeps his promises. And even if we've failed and there are rough patches that you're walking through, he is not done with you. Even when we fail, God's love never fails. You can bank on it. And I don't know what that means for your family or for your relationship or your situation, but I want you to know that he will not stop loving you. Look, look at the next verse, okay? Just look with me. We looked at verse 23, here, or verse 22, here's verse 23. Great is his faithfulness. This is, this is one of the verses that if you know anything about lamentations, you know this verse. You may not know anything else about lamentations, that's fine, but... But you know this verse, great is his faithfulness, his mercies begin afresh each morning. Or his mercies, you may know it like this, his mercies are new each morning, right? Every single morning, God brings new mercy. Wow! Guess what? That coincides with the fact that I need new mercy every single day because I mess up every single day. How about you? Oh, come on, that was weak. (laughs) I do! I mess up every single day, and yet God is faithful, and his mercies bring, are, are, are new each day. And here's the, here's the second reason that I believe that there is hope. Listen, every day is a chance for a reset. Every day is a chance to hit the reset button and go, okay, God, yep, I didn't hear my alarm yesterday. I'm going again. And oftentimes what we're talking about is something a whole lot bigger than an alarm, Right? Be honest. But God's mercies are new every morning, and so there, there's, there's an opportunity for a reset each and every day. I want to I show you just a, a little passage, okay? Second Chronicles chapter 7. And the reason I want to show this to you is because there's a, there's a verse in this that people like to quote, and they often quote it out of context. I want to put it back in the context, and I want you to understand what it means, okay? Second Chronicles chapter 7, starting in verse 11, says this. When Solomon had finished the temple, that's the temple, by the way, that got destroyed in 586 B.C. So about 300 years before it was destroyed, it was built uh, under, under the leadership of King Solomon, okay? When Solomon finished the temple of the Lord... And the royal palace, and it succeeded in carrying out all that he had in mind to do in the temple of the Lord and in his own palace. The Lord appeared to him at night. Can you imagine this? Oh, hello. Talk about a visitor, you know. The Lord appeared to him at night, and here's what he said. Going on, verse 12 and 13. I've heard your prayer, and I've chosen this place for myself as a temple for sacrifices. Cool. Sounds good. 
when I shut up the heavens so that there is no rain or command locusts to devour the land or send a plague among my people. Wait, what? You're going to do what? When, when bad things come, when failure results in correction, then what? Verse 14, look. This is the verse that people like to take out of context. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear them from heaven and I will forgive their sin and I will heal their land. Okay, here's my point. People like to talk about this with the United States. Can I tell you, this is not about the United States. This is not a promise given to us. This is a promise given to Israel. But do you know what it teaches us? It teaches us something about God. And God says, if we humble ourselves and go before him, he resets things. What is keeping you from humbling yourself and letting him change it? I mean, seriously, is there something with your finances that just absolutely need to change and you need to go through financial peace so you can humble yourself and obey? Those principles in financial peace are just principles that God's word teaches us. What's keeping you from turning to God and repenting? What's keeping you from going to something like starting point and checking out faith for yourself and humbling yourself and turning your life over to God? What is it? Because this is who God is. God is a God who over and over and over gives us a reset button. Let me show you the last couple verses here in Lamentations 3. Verse 24 says this. I say to myself, the Lord is my inheritance. Therefore, I will hope in him. What, what's an inheritance? He's, a, he's, he's the thing that is going to take care of us later, right? He takes care of us right now too, I'd say. But he's saying, I cling to him as that thing that's going to take care of me. So I'm going to hope in him. Verse 25, he says this, The Lord is good to those who depend on him, to those who search for him. In other words, God wants us to actually go back to him. And in the midst of our failure, we often let failure tell us that we are done and we never return. We let failure be that which kind of identifies us. Rather than going, no, wait a minute, I'm not a failure. I may have failed. It doesn't identify me. I can go back to God and get back up again. I should search for him and, and go to him. Here's what he's saying. Even failure can lead us to Jesus. Don't believe me? There's a story in the New Testament. I won't read it to you, but I'll tell you. I'll give you the summary of it. You can read about it in, in the Gospels. Um, you can read about it, uh, the, the end part of it, in John chapter 21, okay? It goes like this. Jesus is, is, the first part of it goes like this. Jesus is having his final meal with his disciples, and he says two things at the beginning. Number one, one of you is going to betray me. Number two, one of you is going to deny me. Uh-oh. We talk about failure. Judas fills the bill for the first. Peter fills the bill for the second. 
They both do exactly as Jesus said, even though they both profusely deny it. Judas is confronted with his failure, overcome with depression and loss, and he sees himself as a failure, and he responds based on that. And he does the unthinkable. He decides to take his own life. Why? Because he thought failure was final. He didn't understand the economy of God. He didn't understand that God isn't done with people who fail. (laughs) Praise God for that. Peter kind of started heading down the same path. He went back home, went back to fishing, gave up everything. He's like, that's it. I'm a failure. I'm done. Jesus went and met him. Met him on the shore of the Sea of Galilee. And when he saw Jesus, he jumped out of the boat and he ran to Jesus. They sat and had a meal on the shore. And Jesus, three times, just like he had denied him three times, he confronted him as he said, hey, do you love me? Yep, feed my sheep. Do you love me? Feed my sheep. Do you love me? Feed my sheep. He restored Peter. I'm a firm believer that if Judas had repented and gone back to Jesus, he would have restored him too. I don't know if you feel like Judas, I don't know if you feel like Peter, but I know we all fail, and the bottom line is this, even failure can lead us to Jesus. Let me just show you the last verse here, verse 26. Here's what it says. It is good to wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. I will tell you this is available today. If you look to him. If you'll call, the scripture tells us, whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. It doesn't say accept failures. Whoever. That's the truth. See, here's what I firmly believe. I believe this deep in my soul because I've experienced it. God stays with you (laughs) when even you don't like you. So, don't give up. Don't give up because God's not going to. Galatians 6, 9, so clear. Don't grow weary in doing good for in due season we will reap a harvest. Like, Don't give up. How do, you, how do you keep the change? You fail, you get back up again. You go back to God. You return to him. And if you feel like you failed so many times, you're not sure he could love you, I want to talk to you today because I want you to know of the love of God that is bigger and better than anything you could ever imagine. In fact, here's what we're going to do today. Yeah. Here's what we're going to do today. In just a minute, when I pray, we've got a whole group of people who are going to go to the outskirts of this room. They're going to stand out there. Okay? Bunch of our bunch of our volunteers and leaders and small group leaders, they're gonna stand on the outskirts of this room. And I have a feeling that in this room today, there are some people who go, you know what, I just I I really need to pray and just talk to God. And and you can do that right where you sit, but you could also have somebody pray with you. I've had experiences in my life where I've had people pray over me that have changed things. I want to invite you. If you're here today and you feel like failure is it for you and it's time to 
time to pray and go back to Jesus, would you go to one of these people? They're going to be right on the outskirts. Even if you don't know them, just tell them your name. Tell them how they can pray for you. They're going to pray for you right there. And I'm telling you, God will hear. Okay? So here's what we're going to do. I'm going to pray. And you can move. Our team's going to play. You can keep moving. I don't care how long this goes. You understand? You can keep going and, and have people pray with you. Let's pray. Father God, thank you. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you that he's changed everything and that because of him, there is hope. And because you are who you say you are, you're the God who fights for us. You're, you're, the, you're the God of victory. That's who you are. God, we can come to you. We can pray. We can trust you. And we can know that you're not done with us. Thank you for this, God, we pray. In Jesus' name.